Podcast family, welcome back. I am very excited for you to take a listen or take a watch for this week's podcast with my incredible guest, Strauss Zelnick. Strauss Zelnick has done so many things throughout his career, um, but he is a true powerhouse in business, um, has really done amazing things in the world of media, um, and is an unbelievable leader and a mentor and a very good friend of mine. Uh, we talk about his childhood and adversity. We get into school and college and letdowns and what he's done to sort of get back to where he wanted to be um, through change and, uh, and take criticism and really, really um, use it to better his career as a leader. Uh, so I'm very excited to introduce to you this amazing podcast um, with a guy who has mentored me and I look up to and he has inspired so, so many. Podcast people, born or made with Strauss Zelnick. This podcast is brought to you by the one, the only, Athletic Greens. I love Athletic Greens. It is the bomb. Uh, I've been using the stuff for the last three plus years. It is the first thing I put into my body in the morning. It is a green superfood supplement. Athletic Greens is filled with tons of good stuff like 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics. It's a green powder you add to water, uh, shake it up, drink it down, and it is totally delicious and incredibly good for you inside and out. Uh, go to athleticgreens.com forward slash born. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash born uh, for 20 free travel packs with your first order of Athletic Greens just for you Thank you very, very much. Ladies and gents, podcast family, welcome back to the Born or Made podcast. Good day. I am very, very excited to introduce my next guest, Strauss Zelnick. The man has done so much, and he is such an inspiration to me and to many, many, many people uh, across the globe. He is the founder of ZMC, the chairman and CEO of Take-Two, former president of Fox, and former chairman of CBS, to say just a few of the things that this guy has done, um, and he's a mentor to me. So I could not be more excited to introduce Strauss Elnick. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. Um, I'm honored that you're here. Um, it's my pleasure. There are... Uh, just a few things we're trying to accomplish. Um, the podcast is called Born or Made. So I get the opportunity to sit down with people like you, people that have inspired me and inspired others um, that have done exceptional things in the world. And um, I pose the question, which I think is a really interesting question, whether you believe you were born with an inherent ability to get to where you're at today, or if you were made over time through sheer perseverance, determination, and fight. We don't have to get to that answer now. Um, what Great. I like to do... I guess do, I have time to think about it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it's really the nature-nurture question, right? Um, but the way we get there is by you telling us your story. And uh, obviously, you have an incredible story. Um, I know a lot of your story, but I'm looking to learn more of your story. Um, and I'd like to go back as far as you can remember, because I feel like a lot of the things... A lot of the person we are today um, is influenced by the people we were when we were smaller. And so, you know, maybe you can introduce yourself first and then 
give us the goods. <laughs> well, you already, you already gave me a professional introduction. Um, I, I guess if I had to introduce myself now, uh, I'm a husband, I'm a father, uh, hopefully a friend. Uh, I work in the media and entertainment and communications business as an investor and as an operator. I'm blessed, I have amazing colleagues that I get to work with. And um, when I'm not working, I spend a lot of time on fitness, um, among other things. But I'd say that's sort of, that's sort of a, a brief thumbnail. Yeah, I mean, you know, I got to say that when it comes to fitness, I don't believe that I've come across anybody quite as intense as you. <laughs> Except you. I, I mean, yes, we're, 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 we're playing in the same sandbox for sure. But I think you are, not only are you just so consistent, so, so consistent. You know, there are people that, that work out, and then there are people that work out in the morning. Um, but people tend to, like, fall off the beam here and there. And I think I've been a friend of yours for, it's got to be seven years, six, seven years. There's not a moment in time where I know that Strauss is not training at 6 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> ever. Like, it's just, you know... If I'm like, oh, we're, you know, I'll give Strauss a call. He's probably, oh, he's definitely in the gym. <laughs> um, so, yeah, man, you're, you're incredible. You're incredible. Um, oh, thanks. I mean, I mean, I do it because I love it. I like the way it makes me feel. I mean, candidly, I like the way it makes me look because I do believe in presenting your best self, well, for your own reasons and for others. Um, and, and I like um, the challenge of it, frankly, the challenge of trying to perform at a high level. Most of it doesn't come naturally to me. So I really liked the, the, the challenge. And I, it took me a long time, but I became willing to fail. And being willing to fail meant that I could try things that I, I thought were outside of my scope of abilities. And then by being willing to do that, I was actually able to succeed, maybe even more than I thought. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, you know, a little off topic here, but whatever, we're having a good time. I, you know, I, I, I would argue to say that you and I think similarly in, in the realm of fitness and wellness. Um, and something that I, I, I began to realize in the last year or so was that I put fitness and wellness before anything else in my life. I actually do. Uh, and, and I actually put it before my family. I put it before my job. Um, I put it before everything because I know absolutely unequivocally that when I feel well, I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, I'm a better business owner, I'm a better business partner, I'm a better friend, all those things. And, you know, I think the happiness word has been tossed around a lot, you know, like people are talking about happiness and what is happiness, what is success? Is there a difference between success and happiness? What is it? And I would argue to say, for me, I've found it. And it's in self-care and the people you surround yourself with. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the reason why I, I, I enjoy you so much and I enjoy spending time with you so much is because I feel like you have a similar mindset. I, I definitely have a similar mindset. I'm not going to say I put fitness in front of everything in the event my wife's listening to this. Um, and, we, well, obviously we have to show up when needed. And... But I somehow managed to get some kind of exercise six plus days a week. So I think I'm probably in the same place. And if you can't show up for yourself, it's going to be really hard to show up for other people. Yeah. Yeah, I think my wife would actually be cool with it. Because she, know, she knows that I, I actually put it before everything 
literally and figuratively, because I wake up at five o'clock in the morning and literally put it before everything. Well, I do that as well, most mornings, yeah. Yeah, unless, unless I've been traveling. And even, right. then, and even then, generally, I do. So let's hear about Strauss-Elnick. Let's hear what, uh, where it all started. Where it all started. Well, I was born in Massachusetts uh, to um, a family of uh, highly educated parents from backgrounds that valued education as well. And I would say we're sort of uh, um, education first, um, thoughtful, um, hardworking family. My dad was a lawyer. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, otherwise not sort of an unremarkable, um, an unremarkable upbringing. But it became remarkable pretty quickly when I was, um, when I was six, my parents got divorced and we had a very uh, quiet household. So I didn't really, I didn't know it was coming. It was a, pr- a big surprise. <clears throat> and then when I was um, 10, my mother, my mother uh, suddenly passed away. And um, so I had two big tragedies. My siblings and I had two big tragedies back to back. And we went to live with my, what were then my aunt and uncle, who really became our second set of parents. Uh, My father, my birth father, sort of exited the picture. So in a short time, 10 years of life, and in the case of two of my siblings less, one one was older, um, you know, our worlds were really turned upside down. And childhood tragedy um, and, and that kind of dislocation obviously has an enormous impact, mm. um, but not necessarily the same impact on, on kids. So uh, in my case, um, in addition to all the normal emotional effects of that kind of tragedy, I think um, it definitely had, um, had the effect of motivating me. Can you, can you point to a moment from those years, from those, you know, ten, six to 12-year-old, you know, period of time where you, where, you, where you felt that, actually? Oh, sure. I mean, I, and I'm not sure this is, I mean, not all of it is healthy, incidentally. And I would, certainly wouldn't wish it on anyone else. Um, but as young as five years old, so even before my parents were divorced, I, I remember having a palpable sense of sort of business ambition. Um, I remember thinking, I don't even know where a five-year-old gets us from. You know, we had, we had food on the table, and my father was a successful lawyer. Um, but I wanted, to, you know, I wanted to make a lot of money, and I wanted to achieve things. I'm not even sure how that would have entered my consciousness. So, and that was, again, that was before the divorce. Um, I think mean, it's a little easier to understand after the divorce and the death of my mother and you know, relocation to another strange town mm-hmm. in another state. Um, with new set of parents and some new siblings. It's a little easier to understand. See, it's interesting. I mean, I I think I've had a lot of these conversations. And typically, and I'm I'm really only speaking to people that that have have made a real mark um, that have inspired me, right? Not not everybody else, but like had made a real mark that have have inspired me. Um, And so there's really only two things that have sort of come up that would make me want to or believe that it starts at that period of time in, in the early days. One, someone sits, at, sits down and they start t- telling me their story and they're selling you know, blow pops on the school bus at six years old, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's just 
Like, what, what is that, right? Like, you got to question why, why does one person, one child, want to actually not just eat the blow pops, but actually sell the blow pop? And then the other is adversity. Some sort of traumatic, potentially catastrophic situation that, that lights fire under your ass to do something unique. Okay, so, you're 10 years old. Uh, well, I, I'd always been a creative kid. And um, I, wasn't, I wasn't selling blow pops on the bus. I was, you know, putting on shows with my siblings. And uh, I played guitar. I wrote music. Um, so I, I saw myself as a really creative person. And I came, and my family valued art and creativity. And I think I thought, um, I think by my early teens, Playing guitar and writing music was really important to me, um, and I I thought I, I thought at that time that I'd certainly pursue it actively if not professionally. I'm not sure because it's a long time ago, of course. I, I definitely thought of that as a key um, area of focus. At the same time, I still I think I had a sense that I was probably meant to do something in business at the same time. So I was. Ambitious creatively, that, the, the form that took at that time was music, later writing, and I was ambitious commercially, and the form that took was, you know, I was I was the kid who was always making money somehow, um, so I was teaching guitar lessons, um, teaching music classes, and entertaining at children's birthday parties, all by the time I was about fourteen, um, and the the commonality was less. Um, maybe less than it looked, like it sounds like it was about creativity or entertainment. It was more about the fact that the average jobs that were available to you know, young teenagers in my town were you know, being a busboy at a restaurant for minimum wage. That didn't appeal to me very much, and I realized I could make more one half-hour birthday party than I could spending five, six hours, or ten hours even, working in a restaurant. So, um, so I did magic shows at birthday parties. So you were selling blow pops? So I was... <laughs> I was selling. I was making balloon animals and doing magic tricks for uh, for five year olds, to be exact. Incredible. Yeah. I, I would. I, you know. Did you know anybody else at your age that were doing that was doing that? Certainly, no one was doing all that. No, no, not really. So you. So you had this sort of business acumen from pretty much as soon as you were able to really be out out of your house by yourself, where it wasn't like you had to be completely supervised. Right. Right. But also with a family of six kids, there wasn't a whole lot of supervision. Did know? anybody motive, did anybody compel you to do that? Was it something that just came out of thin air? Was it, did, did you just have this drive because you wanted money in your pocket? What, what, was, the, what was the draw? Well, my, my parents' view was, you know, we'll give you an allowance, but it's a pretty low allowance, and if you want more to spend, you should go make it. So there was some, uh, there was a nudge in that direction, but it wasn't much more than that. And uh, the, the ambition felt pretty internal. But I think that ambition was fueled partially because, you know, at the age of five, I seemed to be ambitious, and partially because having suffered these terrible tragedies, I think I felt like um, outside success and having money in my pocket would sort of be an insulate, you know, an insulation against harm. Mm. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so you're you're doing magic shows. You're fourteen. <laughs> And uh, still have pictures. You're making money, 
and you're already like well on your way to a life in business and entrepreneurialism and creativity. And then where does it go from there? You're like a freshman in high school. So where does it go from there? Uh, more the same. And, um, and I did fine in high school. I was a really good student. But I wasn't a great student. I wasn't at the top of my class. Um, but I, I had a pretty, high, um, I had pretty uh, high view of myself. I mean, I thought, I, I, thought uh, I was pretty good at guitar and pretty good at writing music and pretty good at school. And, um, and uh, then came time to apply to college. And um, my family had gone to, uh, many generations of my family had gone to Harvard. And uh, so I figured I was going to Harvard. And um, I didn't really even pay attention to any other schools I applied to, despite my guidance counselor strongly encouraging me <laughs> to. And um, I applied to Harvard. And much to my surprise and shock, I didn't get in. Now, had I been rational in the least, or had I listened to anyone else, it wouldn't have been a surprise. Basically, Harvard accepted the top three kids in my high school every year, and I was certainly not one of the top three. Um, again, I performed pretty well, but, you know, mm-hmm. nothing great. And it was an enormous wake-up call. It was the first time in my life I was aware of the fact that maybe I defined myself as um, really good at what I did, but there was now objective evidence that I was mistaken. And uh, so going to, and I ended up getting into a great college by sheer luck. I got into Wesleyan. Um, and and that was a, a, defi- a defining change in my life, getting into Wesleyan and not getting into Harvard. Like, what was that? What, can, you, can you close your eyes and feel that experience? Sure. I mean, first of all, the terrible pain of it, because I really had just... But the, the second part was showing up at Wesleyan and <laughs> with the terrible chip on my shoulder because I was, my attitude was, oh, well, I don't even belong here. Like, I'm supposed to be up in Cambridge. And then simultaneously realizing that at least half the class the freshman class at Wesleyan, was vastly better prepared than I had gone to public high school in New Jersey. They'd all gone to prep school. So in addition to feeling like, what am I doing here? I'm supposed to be somewhere else that's apparently better. It was also pretty obvious to me that I probably wasn't even well prepared enough to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I showed up with, um, uh, with a lot of motivation to do well. And it was the first time in my life that instead of um, sort of believing that if you know, I work reasonably hard and you know, and I, I'm charming or whatever, creative, uh, that everything will go my way. It was the first time in my life I really buckled down and worked. I worked really, really hard. And you went and, in with that mentality. Yeah. And I, I went in with that mentality. I hit it really hard, maybe too hard. And it was the first time in my life I actually excelled. I objectively excelled at something. And what does that mean? I got great grades. I did really well. I was, you know, first or second in my class the whole time I was there. I graduated second in my class out of, you know, class of 700. So it's interesting, you know, you say that, right? So you walked into a situation um, and you said, I'm going to do this. There's nothing, I mean, knowing you, the kind of person you are, and I'm sure it has a lot to do with who you are, just your DNA makeup, but knowing you, the kind of person you are, you walked in and you said, there's no way I'm not going to be the best. In this. Actually, that's giving me more credit. I was just terrified. And I worked hard because I wanted to succeed. And I saw what the failure, I saw what failure for the first time looked like. I didn't have any confidence it would lead to anything. I just made a decision that I was going to try my best for the first time in my life. And it turns out when I actually applied myself and tried my best, I got a good result. But I wasn't guaranteed, I had no guarantee it would be a good result. And that was probably the healthiest part of it. Because I, I sort of undertook a bargain with myself, which is 
if I know I tried my best, I'm going to be satisfied with whatever comes back. I had no idea what my grades would be that first semester, none whatsoever. How could I? And particularly because I've been so surprised <laughs> already. Uh, and then when I did well, um, I liked that feeling. And it was a new feeling to me. But no, it wasn't, it wasn't preordained, foreordained, and guaranteed or anything of the sort. Do you think that that I'm going to try my best and know that whatever the outcome is, I'll be comfortable with because I've tried my best? Is that, when you said a, a kind of a switch flipped when you didn't get into Harvard and you walked into Wesleyan and you had that mentality, is that what you've taken with for the rest of your life and career? When I've been healthy. I mean, because that's a really healthy way to look at it, right? I'll do my best, I'll do my part, and I'll let go of the outcome. Um, I haven't always been that healthy. There have been plenty of times when I've mixed up you know, the action and the outcome. Mm -hmm. But when I'm at my best, I do that. I say, look, I, you pay your money, you take your chance, you try your hardest. You, you can't control everything that will come I, from it. I, I want to dig into this for a minute, because I, 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 try your best, right? It's such a... How do, you, how do you break that down? How do you dissect try your best? Like, what does that actually mean? Does that mean, how can you, like, what, what, what does trying your best mean? Well, it depends on the activity. Mm -hmm. But in the case of school, you know, for me it meant listen carefully, go to your classes, take notes in class, take notes on your reading, study hard. Um, one of the rules I had in college, crazy as it may sound, was I did all my homework the day it was assigned. I mean, no one does that. I didn't do anything else until my work was done. And I did that for eight years of higher education, four years of college, four years of grad school. Do you do that now with other things in your life? No, I'm a little more balanced than that now. <laughs> I've gotten a little healthier. Uh -huh. um, because, you know, again, I, I was just throwing everything I had at it. And that's not a healthy way to live. Sometimes it makes sense to throw everything you have at sometimes at something. Other times it does not. But at that time I had no filter because I was just, you know, I was just moving in a direction. I was not to be stopped. Yeah, I mean, I think that the reason I'm interested and the reason I ask that question is what does, you know, try your best mean? Trying for a lot of people is simply not doing. Right. Well, no, this involved doing. You know, I, I went to the library after class and I did my work. And you got and you got results that you were only dreaming of. I have not even for. not even sure I hoped for them. I mean, I just I got great results. I didn't even I'm not even sure that I knew I wanted it until it started happening. Well, I mean, I'd like to say that you know you 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 went at it. This is this is beautiful because this is stuff that I didn't know about you, which I'm excited <laughs> to learn, um, and that's why I'm asking all these questions. Uh, but you know, so I mean, and then we're going to walk into your career, which is. Remarkable, but your your career and the things that you've done throughout your career sound <laughs> unattainable. And I would imagine that you were trying your best then too. Uh, yes, I was. Yeah, I sort of set that tone, and I still do to this day. All right. So you're in college, and you're kicking ass and taking names, and you're probably pushing it way too hard. Way too hard. I didn't have a very good time in college. Mm -hmm. I didn't enjoy it very much. I mean, it was just about, it was in all intensity all the time. I don't recommend it, by the Not way. Not healthy. Uh, no. No, it wasn't healthy. Um, but I succeeded, and I graduated at the very top of my class, and I applied to you know, three graduate programs, and I got into all three, and I went to Harvard Business School and Harvard Law School. 
And par partially that was, you know, I was in a show Harvard that <laughs> it's never going to be turned down by you guys again. And I'm not going to just go to one graduate school. I'll go to two. Thank you very much. I'm sure, you, I'm so, sure walking through the gates that day was a good feeling. So, um, uh, so I went on and I, and I had a really good time at Harvard, actually. So I sort of relaxed a little bit. I had the presence of mind to understand that I needed to do what I did at Wesleyan to get into these graduate schools at Harvard. I didn't need to repeat that experience. So I, was, I took the I took the level of intensity down a little bit. Mm. And I also had my first job in, in grad school because I put myself more or less through grad school by working uh, largely full-time the whole time. And so I had a, that was a commercial experience and I began to, and it was a great business experience actually. Um, so that was, that, I had that experience as well in grad school. Quick question about Wesleyan and then we'll move on. Um, would you do it differently knowing what you know now? Oh, Wesleyan was an amazing place. I mean, I, I, I attribute much of my professional success to the education I received there, the ability to tailor my education to what I was interested in, and the um, encouragement, um, but in a, in a really uh, kind and open and diverse and um, creative atmosphere. So I had a great experience. But had I been admitted to Harvard when I was 17 years old, I would have gone to Harvard. <laughs> but no, what, I, what I'm saying is, is that you, know, you, you, you said you really didn't have a great time because of how hard you worked and, and how intense it was and how much you put into it and you really didn't put anything else in front of it and, or next to it or near it probably. But do you think that worked out in your benefit? Yes, you I needed to do that okay. at that time. I don't, I don't think I had, had I not, been willing to make that trade-off, uh, I wouldn't have gotten into the two grad schools that I went to. See, I, I, I think, you know, when you say you don't recommend it, and, 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 I, and I hear that, however, I believe that, like, my career has gone, you know, I launch a business, I build it for four years, I, I, I try to sell some equity, I launch another one, and then, but in, the, in those times, for the first two years that I've launched a business... I am immensely focused, and it's really hard to penetrate that focus for the people around me, and I'm sure it's unhealthy. It's un I'm sure it's unhealthy for me, and I'm sure it's not awesome for the people around me. But I do believe that f for people that are trying to do something special, there is, that balance is something that has to be you know, taken into account. I mean, I can only imagine... I mean, where you are now, but when you were starting out in your career, I'm sure that that intensity, that level of intensity that you put towards Wesleyan is probably similar to, if not, doesn't scratch the surface to where you were when you were the, you know, the president of Fox. Yes, I, ha you, I do think everyone needs to have the ability to dig deep and put in the work and work really hard. Yeah. There's no substitute for hard work. And, and then there's moments in time where you can, you can back out. Absolutely, and it's good to know the difference. Um, but no, there's no substitute for hard work. Cool. All right, so you're in, you went to Harvard Business School, and then you went to Harvard Law, and you had your first job. Yeah, my first job was that I hustled, and I got a job at Columbia Pictures Television, and I was responsible for selling international television programming. Uh, I'd, at that point, I finally arrived at the conclusion that while I might enjoy playing guitar and writing music, no one else enjoyed listening to me play guitar <laughs> or play music. That was a healthy thing and a, and a painful thing to, to realize, but I did. And I also did creative writing, and I was a little more successful than, than music, but I didn't want to be, I didn't want a, a career as a writer, and I also was 
right in thinking. It probably wasn't talented enough to. So I turned my attention fully to business, and I thought if I can work in a business that um, is about creative things, and I could work with creative people, that would be super exciting. And I decided I wanted to run a movie studio. And I, I, I mean, I was very plain about that ambition. I wrote an essay in the, um, the first year that I was at Harvard in the Harvard Law School yearbook uh, saying, and unlike a lot of other people here, I want to go into the movie business. I want to run a movie studio. I'm not sure why I thought it was a good idea to publish that in the yearbook, but I did. So the closest I could get was international television sales at Columbia, and that's what I did. That was my first job. And like that moment, from, from being there, you knew that you still wanted to run a studio. Oh, absolutely. It I wasn't, mean, I, want to, I, want to, I want to do this at a studio. You, you, you no, immediately went to like... No, I want to run the studio, yeah. <laughs> and you did that. Um, I, was, I, I was successful in television sales. I was then recruited to go to the largest independent film company, a company called Vestron, at that time. Um, and very quickly, for no apparent reason, I became president of that company. I was 29 years old, three years out of school. What was Vestron? Um, well, the first motion picture that I greenlit in my life was at Vestron. And that became the highest grossing independent film of all time record it's kept for, I want to say, 20 years, which is a picture called Dirty Dancing. So Vestron was best known for oh Dirty Dancing. Oh my gosh, I just watched that Dirty Dancing well, documentary. There you go. That was... That was, that was, uh, that's so was the first picture I greenlit. So that obviously was really good for my career. I spent a few years at Vestron, about three, um, and then I was recruited to go to 20th Century Fox as president of that company. So by the time I was 32, I was president of a major studio. Wow. So that... So that was what my ambition had been. I never expected it to take that short a time. Uh, and I found myself in, in Los Angeles um, at Fox and um, made a whole bunch of movies and was responsible for worldwide television distribution as well as motion picture distribution, home entertainment distribution, and did that for about four years. So when you're in these positions and you're young in these positions, I mean, you're very young in these positions and, and you're managing multi-million dollar movies and I'm sure hundreds of millions of dollars in assets. What, what do you, what, what, how, how did you figure out a way to get comfortable with that? What, 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 what was a, a, a technique or a tactic that you were able to sort of, I guess, you, you, you chameleoned yourself into understanding how to run these businesses? I mean, what was it? Was there, is there anything that you can think of that was like, this is what I did to help me get to this place? I trusted people. I delegated very well. I... Well, I mean, I can more easily come up with all the things I did badly than the things I did well. Um, but generally, I would take the time to diagnose a business, understand it, understand what I called, you know, were the levers, the key levers that would create success or, I suppose, create failure, and then focus on those. Um, I didn't initially focus sufficiently on interpersonal skills and leadership, and I had to develop those skills over time because... Um, I got a lot of bad feedback initially. You know, I was, I was seen initially as very smart, ambitious, and hard-charging. I suppose that's all good. But I was also seen as aloof, cold. Um, I'll leave it at that, aloof and cold. And that's not a way to get people together and get them to do their best work. So I had to, I had to take pains to begin to develop those skills and to realize that how you work with people and how you listen to people uh, and how you talk to people is a huge part of building value in businesses or in any enterprise. That right there, I think, is so crucial and important to talk about. The fact that you got feedback 
at a pretty incredible place in your life where you're, you've, 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 you've succeeded. You're at this level. And you've get, you're getting feedback from people saying that you're potentially aloof and cold. And well, it was worse than that. It was worse than that. I was nine months into my job at Fox, and I thought I was crushing it because we were turning around a business and building up a business, and I was, you know, I was kicking ass and taking names. And uh, a colleague of mine who was, um, worked in corporate, I, I was divisional president, um, came to see me as sort of at the behest of the very senior management of the company, which is to say Rupert Murdoch and Barry Diller, who were mm-hmm. the big bosses. And, um, and he came into my office and he said, listen, listen, we think you're very smart and very capable. Uh, we don't think you have any leadership skills whatsoever. It was a real blow to my ego. Mm. And it was, I was scared to death I was going to get fired. How old were you? Um, I was 33. I'd been there less than a year. And, uh, but, you know, one, there are two ways to deal with that kind of feedback. One is to say, you're totally wrong. You don't get it. I'm, you know, that's not correct. I, you know, I don't see myself that way. Thankfully, I don't do that. Um, I'm pretty self-critical. So I had the presence of mind to understand that it really didn't matter whether I thought that feedback was right or wrong. That was the feedback I was getting. Mm. And I better do something about it. So I sort of, uh, I sort of uh, picked myself up and dusted myself off and pushed the, um, the punctured pride away. Um, and I was, uh, as it happens, right around then, and it would be tempting to say it was the same day. I'm sure it wasn't. But in that vicinity of that time period, I had to go to New York on some business, and I was, um, this was a long time ago, it was before uh, Wi-Fi on airplanes, before iPads. And uh, so I was, I was in the uh, bookstore at the airport because I didn't have anything to read on the flight, and I like watching movies on planes. So I, I couldn't find anything to read, and I'm sort of browsing, and I see this book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I'd heard about it before, and it sounded like such a, you know, such a corny title that sort of meant like how to be the most popular boy in your class. I thought, well, why would anyone read that? But I thought, I couldn't find anything else. And I thought, oh, you know, I kind of heard that's good. I'm going to read it. And lo and behold, it's a book about salesmanship, leadership, and friendship. And it was exactly what I needed to read. And um, whenever people ask me, you know, what's the best book on salesmanship and leadership? I say, how to win friends. It, was, it changed my life. I read that book. I read it really carefully. I read it the way you're supposed to read it, which is in bites, not all at once taking notes and underlining and adding your own notes. And, um, and, you know, the thesis in that book is, you know, if you want to have a good life and you want to be successful at almost anything, start by taking a, a sincere interest in other people, a sincere interest in other people. And that implies other things, like as opposed to the way most of us talk, and you and I have talked a lot. You know, most people talk thinking about what they're going to say next. Mm-hmm. Many people interrupt. And many people don't listen very well. And if they listen, maybe they listen to the words, but not much else. Um, I learned, and I've tried really hard uh, to dig into this, to listen truly and with empathy and to care and to find a way to take an interest in people, even if I didn't really feel a sense of kinship with that person, even if I didn't necessarily even like that person. Um, And I began to develop leadership skills. And I began to develop communication skills uh, as a result. And um, so the, you know, that feedback that I got that day, which I suppose for many people could have been you know, really offensive and leading to like a, how dare you speak to me that way? I'm president of this company. Have, don't you, haven't you seen my resume? Don't you know where I went to school? Um, 
And, you know, you don't like it, I'm out of here, too. What I did, well, luckily had the presence of mind to do, which was look inside and say, I want to succeed here. I don't want to fail here. I've got to figure out a way to succeed. I'm going to take this at face value, and I'm going to address these deficits to the best of my ability. That's what I tried to do. And I think today, if you asked people about me and said, you know, what are his best qualities, I don't think people would say what I thought my best qualities at the time were. I'm really, really smart, and I'm really hardworking, and I really get this business. And I think if you ask people today what my best qualities are and what, you know, why have I done pretty well in this business, um, I think they'd say he's you know, a smart guy, but there are a lot of smart people. Does he understand the business? Yeah, knows the business well. So, so do a lot of people. But he's a really good listener, and he's a really good leader of people, and he is particularly good at bringing out the best in other executives, especially creative people. Now, those are the very, no one would have ever said that, and I knew that. That I had the presence of mind to know. All of that was because I went to work on it, because I took the feedback, um, and because I was bound and determined to succeed, even if it meant going way outside of my comfort zone. It's wonderful. Truly. We could stop the podcast right <laughs> now. I mean, that's, that's, that's I think, uh, you know, the, 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 the saying, it's, it's hard to change the leopard spots, right? Um, people can change. I know for certain people can change. I've changed. Absolutely. I don't know. I love you, Mom. I don't know if my mother will ever change. <laughs> I don't know if my wife will ever change. And I'm cool with that, right? Like, sometimes we have to change our perception of people. Right. Sometimes know? we have to be the ones to change, actually. But um, I think that's so inspirational because you're getting feedback that people aren't receiving you well. And instead of being like, Right. You said, you know what, I, I, I can change. And you did. And, um, and, that's what's, and that's what's helped create this amazing career. And I think people need to hear that because um, change is something that human beings, uh, I think, innately hate. Yeah, most people don't like change. I've, I've always been pretty good at embracing change. I think having the tragic childhood I did made me... Um, understand things change unexpectedly and sometimes horribly, and you can still survive. And while I wouldn't wish that on anyone, I did have that takeaway. Yeah, I, 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 when people say you know, things to me like, oh, people don't change. No, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with it. And I also, I also tend to, I, 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 like you, take a real interest in people, right? I'm not the smartest guy at the table. I'm just not, and I'm very well aware of it. Um, but when it comes to people... I believe EQ is, is, is super-duper important, specifically in today's hyper-competitive landscape where mm -hmm. smart people are paid for. You can pay top dollar for the smartest guy or gal to analyze your data. But creative thinkers and executors are really harder to pay because they're creating and executing. Right. And so... Um, I just think it's so awesome that, that, that we went into that because the, the, the ability to change is real and um, I think people need to know that, you know, um, in relationships, in business, personally, you can change if you actually want to. Right. Um, all right, so you're at Fox and, and you have <laughs> monumental experience there where you're, so, where you're you know, the, the guys that are giving you feedback tell you that you need to make a shift. And, you and I did. And I did well at Fox. I had a good experience there. And uh, developed, you know, um, managed to surmount most of my early difficulties. Um, I was recruited away to go to a video game company 
and this was long before the video game business was what it is today. And I was ready to go. I'd spent seven years in the movie business. I'd greenlit 155 films. Um, and I knew it was time for the next thing. And I thought, what's going to be the next huge entertainment business? And I thought, I don't know, video games. And uh, sold my house at a loss, took a 95% pay cut, and moved my young family to Northern California and um, became the first CEO of a little video game company called Crystal Dynamics. Built that company up um, for a few years and got a real taste of the intersection of technology and entertainment. Um, so that was a success. Is this pre-Atari? No, it's after Atari. It was Pre-Nintendo? Uh, Nintendo was out there too at this okay. point. And um, then I was recruited to turn around a big record company back in the heyday of the record business. And I, I went and did that at that company, started another video game company for that company called BMG Interactive. Uh, the, the record company was BMG. Um, divested that company at the senior management's insistence, much as I didn't want to, to a little tiny public video game company in 1999 called uh, Take-Two Interactive. Left BMG uh, at the end of 2000 to start ZMC. And ZMC began to build a digitally focused diversified media business through acquisition. And in 2007, so seven years into the history of ZMC, actually took over Take-Two Interactive. Um, so since then, we've been, my partners and I have been building up ZMC, my colleagues and I have been building up Take-Two Interactive, and, and here we are today. Tell me, tell me some, of the, some of the highlights of Take-Two. Well, Take-Two is the, the company that um, includes hit video games like Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption, Borderlands, Bioshock, NBA 2K, Civilization, WWE 2K, um, uh, Monster Legends, Dragon City, and many, many other hit titles. It's uh, the third or fourth largest video game company on earth, depending on how you count it. It's crazy. It's wild. Yeah. And it's turned into a massive business. So the part that I was, I was right about was, you know, coming from nowhere, uh, today the video game business is bigger than the motion picture and the music business together. Wow. It's about a $140 billion business. Wow. And it's growing much more rapidly than any other entertainment business. So um, I got that one right. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the esports is so crazy. Yeah, we're in that business as well. So, what that, team do you guys? Well, we we're a joint venture partner in the NBA 2K League with the NBA. So heading into its third season. You know, it's so interesting. When when I was a kid, I wasn't always like a, I wasn't like a real video game guy. My friends, however. The truth be told, I was terrible at video games. <laughs> I just, I just... Well, I don't even play video games, yeah. and I run one of the largest video game companies. <laughs> and everyone knows that, so it's not a, that's not a secret. Um, so, yeah, okay. I was terrible. You're, you're safe with me. Good, good. I was terrible at video games. My, a lot of my friends were not. Um, a lot of my friends were good at video games. But, you know, potentially at that age, if somebody would have told me that, you know, you could be a professional video game player and make millions of dollars based on your success as a pro video game person... I would have put some more thought into <laughs> it. Like more attention. Um, I think you've done it's, okay. It's incredible. Uh, wow, Strauss, you are an awesome, incredibly kind, humble guy um, that I am really honored and grateful to call my friend. Um, so I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, I think I kind of have the answer, but based on your story, do you think you were born or made? Well, you know that, I mean, I just can't answer it in a binary form because I'd have to do all of the above. Look, I was given some gifts and some talents, and I was 
I came from a family that valued education, and I've got a pretty good brain. Um, and I have stamina. Um, but all of that wouldn't have mattered if I hadn't showed up, shown up and done the work. So much as I wish I could say everyone has the same palette you know, um, to paint from, I don't think that's true. I, had, I was given some, some great gifts. But I also had some, some great challenges that, that were presented to me. And at the end of the day, uh, whatever success I had, with the help of lots of other people, I had to go create. So I'm gonna I'm gonna veer towards made, but acknowledge the many of the many of the gifts I was given through no fault or work of my own. Made. Wow. Ladies and gents, Strauss says made. <laughs> um, I was gonna put born on you. <laughs> I was gonna put you in a born category. Yeah. It's so incredible for me to be able to sit with people and have totally, not, it's not totally different perspectives, but it's been really 50-50. Um, and, and there's been a few people that uh, are borners, I mean, that are, are both, are both. And I try to fight him about it because, mm. you know, I don't think Michael Jordan was, was made, you know. I think Michael Jordan, you know, he's a, he's a unique character, right? Like, people pl- practice and practice and practice and practice and practice and practice, but he was just better than everyone. And he practiced. And he practiced. Sure. He practiced so harder I, than almost anyone. So I but he does have God-given talents, and he's tall. So I, I grant you that. And I, while I'm not tall that way, I, I acknowledge I think I, ha- I, did, I had some talents that had nothing to do with me. I just was lucky to get some of them. Um, but I think I actually probably would beg your question and say... I've rarely seen anyone who was born talented who didn't do a huge amount of work succeed. Absolutely, 100%. I could not agree more. I think regardless of whether or not you were born or made, no matter what, an enormous amount of sweat, tears, pain, joy, glory, you know, all of those things are involved. And um, no one gets to the levels of... But now that you described it the way you did with Michael Jordan, I'm going to... I'm going to double down on made because I don't think I have any really, I don't have intrinsic talents like his. I mean, he, he clearly has some intrinsic talents that he was handed, and I can't think of any that I have that, that well, rise were, to that level. When you were five years old, you were looking through a business lens. Yeah. So, like professional athletes, business people and entrepreneurs, I believe, have a similar thing. It might not express itself in the ability to dunk a basketball or run fast or wrestle or, you know, uh, hit a golf ball. But it does express itself in creativity. Fine artists. You know, not everybody is born with the paintbrush of Monet. Yeah. You know, so I, and, and, I'm, and I guarantee you Monet or, uh, you know, um, or, 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 you know, Basquiat or, uh, you know, Picasso was was do, was doing these things at a very very early age. It just came naturally. It came it came from nature, and so I do sit on the born camp. Really, but I don't think. But I but I I think that people can be born with a certain ability and talent and never realize it because they're not they're not working for it. And you see that over and over again. I, I do, and so I it, 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 the 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 only the only reason why I don't like to share my my thought process too much is because, you know. When you say you're, you know, you can only do it if you're born with it, it's not that aspirational, right? 
So I, I, I do believe that there is, there is a gray area, but I think it's a lot harder for people that don't have some sort of inherent ability to do it. My father was an entrepreneur, not a successful entrepreneur. My grandfather was an entrepreneur, was a successful entrepreneur. But I come from a lineage of entrepreneurs, and I don't think that's by coincidence. Mm. You know, I think that's, you know, I think that there's something there that uh, makes me want to sell things, you know? <laughs> or make things or both. Or make things or both, yeah. right. Um, Strauss, you're the best. Thanks. I really appreciate having you on, and uh, thank you for taking the time. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you, man. Thank you.